0: Hey everyone. And thanks for joining our online service today. My name is Aaron and I'm one of the pastors at Exilic and I want to welcome you to our service, especially if it's your first time with us. Uh, Thanks for hopping on and joining us. Uh, For the past few weeks, we've been doing a sermon series called Atomic Spiritual Habits, how our tiny habits can create big, big change in our lives. And so we've talked about the importance of habits, the importance of having a game plan for our spiritual habits, But up until this point, we haven't actually talked about a specific spiritual habit we should all be implementing into our lives. And if you're a Christian, there are all sorts of things that we should be doing. And so whether it's reading the word, coming to church every week, fellowshipping, serving, tithing, all sorts of things that we should be doing. But for our purposes today, I wanna talk about the one spiritual habit that is perhaps the most difficult and yet one of the most rewarding, and that is prayer. And what I'd like to do today is to specifically connect prayer as a spiritual habit to our cultural moment right now. Because if we're serious about making this moment into a movement, and I don't say the word movement lightly, if we want this moment to become a movement, it really does need to be bathed in prayer. And so last week I mentioned that if we want to see racism eradicated out there in our society, it first needs to be eradicated inside of here. And one of the ways of eradicating racism, which is in the deepest recesses, deepest subterranean levels of our hearts, one of the best ways of eradicating it is through prayer. Because racism isn't just a political thing, social thing, cultural thing, although it is, but it's also very much a spiritual reality that has a hold on us. Last week, I had the opportunity of going to a meeting with uh, some church leaders in our city. And it was an opportunity to really listen, learn, and lament with what uh, some of the black pastors in our city have been feeling for a very long time. And one of the pastors was sharing about um, a story that he had been meditating on in the Bible where the disciples are trying to cast out this demon but they're unable to do so. And so they go up to Jesus for help and Jesus come and he casts out the demon. And so they go up to Jesus and they say, teacher, why, why weren't we able to cast out the demon? And Jesus's response is, this kind can only come out through prayer. Now, if you think about where we're at as a society today, there's been a lot of progress that has been made. Policies changed, protests that have been made, uh, a black president we've had, but there's still a lot of progress that we need to make. I think a part of the reason for that is because if we wanna see even more progress made, it really does, this demonic thing called racism, it really does need to be cast out through prayer. Because prayer not only has the power to address the, the dark sin inside our souls, it has the power to address the dark systemic structures in our society, but it also has the power to address the dark spiritual forces that are out there. And racism is definitely a demonic thing. And so what I'd like to do today is to look at prayer as a form of spiritual activism. Now it's possible that some of you might be thinking, we don't need to have thoughts and prayers anymore. What we need is action. And you're right, and I understand what you're saying. Uh, We can't just pray. We can't just lament injustice and not fight against injustice. But I don't want to pit action and prayer against one another. Instead, what I'd like to see is that prayer is actually a form of spiritual activism. While prayer can't be the only thing that we do, it does have to be the first thing that we do. And so what I'd like to do today is to take a look at a very obscure minor prophet named Habakkuk. We're not even sure how to pronounce Habakkuk's name because it's Akkadian and Akkadian is a dead language. And so I'm I'm gonna call him Habakkuk for our purposes today. And while there's not a lot that we know about him, there is one thing that we do know, and it's that his society resembles our society very much so. There was a lot of violence and injustice during his time. And Habakkuk uses prayer as a form of spiritual activism to fight against the injustices that were taking place during his time. And I think that there's a lot that we can learn from him as well. And what makes Habakkuk so unique as a prophet is that usually prophets spoke on behalf of God to the people. But Habakkuk is unique in the sense that he speaks on behalf of the people to God. And here's what he says. In verse two and three, he says, "'How long, Lord, must I call for help? "'But you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. So the first thing to notice here is that this is a prayer. But this is not just any kind of prayer. This is a protest because Habakkuk, two times in these verses, says, Why? And when you read the rest of the chapter, he actually says, Why? four times. So he's saying, Why, God? He also uses the phrase, How long, O Lord? And this phrase, How long, O Lord, is actually used 65 times throughout the Bible, where God's people and Habakkuk are questioning God and they're saying, How long? Why are you doing this? And they're expressing anguish over God's perceived silence in the midst of injustice that they're facing. But Habakkuk goes even a step further because in verse 13, he says, "'Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. "'You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. "'Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? "'Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up "'those more righteous than themselves?' And what Habakkuk is saying here is that, God, I thought you were supposed to be so amazing. So why are you so MIA? Why are you so silent? You know, one of the phrases that is circulating right now is that if you're silent, you're automatically complicit in matters of racism. And here, it would seem like God is being silent in the midst of the violence and the injustice that is taking place. You know, one of the most striking things about this prayer is that Habakkuk is speaking very boldly to God. And I don't know if in any other religion you can speak this boldly to a God. But I think one of the reasons why Habakkuk can speak this boldly is because this is family. Our relationship with God is one is one where he is our father and we are his children. And you know what families do? Families fight and argue. And that's what Habakkuk is doing here. And I think Habakkuk's boldness Uh, Actually reveals his closeness with God, not his distance with God. I think that the fact that Habakkuk is wrestling with God in this way uh, reveals his intimacy with him. I I actually think that God is more disappointed when we don't go to him with our questions, but we go to omniscient Google for all of our questions and our answers. I think God delights in the fact that we want to ask him questions and we want answers from him. When you take a look at the scriptures and the people of God who had the most intimate relationship with him, they're the ones that also fought with God and wrestled with him the most. And so think about Job who wrestled with God. Think about Jonah who wrestled with God. Think about Jacob who literally wrestled with God. It's because of their intimate relationship with God that they wrestled with him the most. And so wrestling with God in our prayers is actually a sign of maturity, not a sign of Immaturity. You know, whenever I hear uh, people pray uh, and I listen to their prayers, uh, I can almost automatically tell what kind of relationship they, they have with God, whether it's an intimate relationship or not, because prayer is, is not necessarily something that is natural to us, but the more we do it, and the more we know of God, the more natural it becomes. And that's what habits are all about. And the people that usually have the best prayers are the ones that talk to God. They don't talk at God. Do you know what the difference is? When I hear people talking at God, it's like they're talking to a dead wall, something that's not alive. But when I hear people talking to God, it's almost like they know God. It's almost like they're talking to something that's really alive and living. It's almost like they're talking to the most powerful person in the universe, and that's because they are and so when we pray we're supposed to have that kind of posture to god well we're not just talking at him but we're talking to him and so my question to you today is this how has your prayer life been how authentic real and raw has your prayer life been i think it's safe to say that 2020 has been the hardest year for a lot of us in our lives and if we are not going to the throne of grace and desperation now I don't know if we will go to the throne of grace in desperation when life is easier. How is your prayer life right now? And how much have you been praying for all that's taking place in our society today? You know, one of the astonishing things to me about Habakkuk is that in the midst of the violence and injustice and God's perceived silence is that he never walks away from God. You know what's remarkable to me about the black Christian community in the midst of all the injustice, violence, and oppression that they faced? that black Christians have not walked away from God. That is truly astonishing and amazing to me, because as a pastor, one of the things that I hear often are stories where people have walked away from God because of the suffering that they've experienced. But for Habakkuk and the black Christian community, they have not walked away from God. And as I think about Habakkuk's society and our society today and what black, The black community is facing, uh, I think what makes us even more astonishing are the parallels between these two communities. For example, in verse 4, Habakkuk says, therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Now, I'm not exactly sure what kind of injustices were taking place during Habakkuk's time, but I do know that their law was paralyzed or their law was broken, their system was broken. And similarly today in our society, our system is broken. Or to echo what a lot of people have been saying, our system isn't broken, it was built this way. And so when you think about institutional racism or systemic racism, it is the use or misuse of power to advantage some and disadvantage others. And that is what was happening during Habakkuk's time and that is what is happening in our time today as well. My wife, Hannah, uh, just finished reading Just Mercy by Bryan Stevenson last week. And I do want his name to become a household name at our church. And if I'm not mistaken, Just Mercy is still on for free, uh, which you can watch online. But every night without fail, she would read a few chapters. And every night she would go to bed saying, I'm so angry because a system that we have right now is set up to fail the black community, incarcerate the black community, and even kill the black community community. And one of the reasons for that, as Stevenson would say, is that slavery has not ended. It has merely evolved. And so while as a society, we are not lynching black people, we are throwing them in cages at a highly disproportionate amount. Now, if you were experiencing that, your community was experiencing that, not just for a year or two, but for the past 400 years, you would be filled with rage. And even if you're not black, how could you not be, how could you not be filled with rage on behalf of what is happening to the black community? Martin Luther King Jr., in a speech in 1968, said, a riot is the language of the unheard. And so in a real sense, our nation's summers of riots are caused by our nation's winters of delay. And as long as America postpones justice, We stand in the position of having these reoccurrences of violence and riots over and over again. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. Now MLK would be the first one to say that riots are self-defeating. And in no way, shape or form am I condoning riots or violence in any way. But at the same time, I can understand why they happen. Again, if you have been experiencing oppression for this long and the system is set up to fail you, how could you not be angry? But, whereas riots are the language of the unheard, as MLK would say, prayer is the language of the heard. And as one writer recently put it, when we pray, we are campaigning to the highest authority, to the highest judge, to the highest king of kings. And so therefore, just as protesting and marching are a form of activism, prayer then, if we are really campaigning to the highest authority, prayer is the highest form of activism. And while prayer might not earn us the public points like posting something on social media does, prayer is one of the most effective ways of being an activist. And one of the things that prayer also does is that it protects us from turning our righteous anger into self-righteousness, virtue signaling, or any kind of performance activism. Prayer protects us from having ulterior motives behind the things that we do, we do and it purifies our motives in why we're doing the things that we do. And while posting things on social media is super, super important because of the hundreds, if not thousands of people that you have as an audience, prayer is equally important because we have the audience of the one person that really, really does matter. And so I know that some of you might be skeptical in saying that prayer is not going to change anything out there. And prayer might not change anything immediately outside of us according to our timeline. But I do know this, while prayer might not change anything out there, super, super fast, it can change everything in here very quickly. And if we're gonna see our society change once again, we need to change ourselves. And as we read the rest of Habakkuk's prayer, that's what's happening to Habakkuk. As he's praying, he himself is changing as well. So read with me verses five through six. And this is God's response to Habakkuk. God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. Now the good news is that everyone at Exilic understands the context of verse 5 and 6, because you all know the latter half of the Old Testament because of a sermon we did a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about the name of one bakery, A Bon Pon, ABP, or Assyria, Babylon, and Persia. And historically speaking, right now, Assyria is the world's superpower. But they are being unseated by a new sheriff in town, and that is the Babylonians. And so the Babylonians come, overtake the Assyrians, and now they're coming for the Jews in the southern kingdom of Judah, and they want to exile them all out. And the Babylonians were this ruthless and impetuous people, as Habakkuk would say. They even had a scorched earth policy where they would invade a land and light everything on fire. Any sign of life was destroyed. So whether it was animals, plants, trees, people, or even the temple, they would totally, totally annihilate it. In fact, the last king of Judah was King Zedekiah, and they gouged out his eyes and blinded him. But before they gouged out his eyes, they assassinated all of his sons right before his eyes so that the very last thing King Zedekiah ever saw was the bloody murder of his own sons. And then they exiled him out. That is how ruthless and merciless these Babylonians were. And so they came and they transported all the, all the Jews into their own land. I mentioned before that my family and I, we we immigrated to the United States uh, almost 40 years ago. And when you think about the immigrant story, it's one where immigrants voluntarily leave their country to come to America for a better life. And when you think about the Jewish narrative and the black narrative, it's also one of immigration, but they didn't voluntarily come, they involuntarily came. And they didn't come for a better life, but they came for a worse life. And so when Habakkuk hears God say to him that the Babylonians are coming, it's almost like he drops a ball in Habakkuk. Because in the past, Habakkuk was saying, God, you're totally silent, you're not doing anything. Now Habakkuk, Habakkuk is saying, God, you're doing too much. How is it that you can use these people, these evil people to conquer the evil within our own nation? How is it that you can use evil to conquer evil? Well, if you've ever seen any movie where a hero or a heroine is fighting against a fire-breathing dragon, inevitably this is what happens. The fire-breathing dragon lets out this fireball and somehow the hero or heroine boomerangs that fireball back to the dragon. And the dragon is killed by its own fireball. And that is what God was doing in Habakkuk society and that is what God is doing right now in our society. God is using the evil of sin, uh, evil of racism and injustice against the evil of racism and injustice. And when you think about that theme, using evil to conquer evil, that totally makes sense in light of what the cross is all about. The act of crucifixion, the cross, is one of the most evil things that man has ever invented. It is one of the most inhumane things that man has ever invented. And yet the most innocent person that has ever lived, Jesus Christ, dies this death. And the question then is why? If you take a look with me again at verse 13, this is what it says. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, Habakkuk says. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves?" Habakkuk is right about one thing. Uh, God's eyes are too pure. But he is wrong about the other thing. They are not so pure that he cannot look at evil. Because the truth of the matter is, second after second, day after day, God does stare at evil in the face. He does see every act of violence, he does see every act of injustice. He does see every senseless murder. He does see every looter. He does see every rape. He does see all, every trafficker. He sees all the evils that are happening in our world painfully, day after day after day. But you know what? God not only sees all the evil that is out there, He also sees the evil that is within us. We only see what we wanna see, Whatever is caught on camera or whatever blind spots that we choose not to have in our own lives but he sees all of that. He sees our lack of compassion, our lack of empathy, our indifference, our lack of care, our self-absorption, our self-centeredness, and thank God he dies for all of that. You know, there are almost 50 million black people in our country, and with the exception of a few minority voices within the black community, the vast majority of the black voices are crying out for help and for justice. The fact that we even have a slogan like Black Lives Matter or we debate whether Black Lives Matter only reveals the evil that is within our society and the evil that is within our own hearts, because that slogan, that phrase shouldn't even exist. But thank God he also dies for that. And if you really understand that he dies for all of our sins, the question now is, how should we respond? I like what G.K. Chesterton once said when he said that we are taller when we kneel. And right now, the black community needs us to stand very tall with them on our knees. And we need to see that prayer is also a form of spiritual activism. There can be no power without prayer. There can be no change without prayer. There can be no deep-seated repentance without prayer. Prayer cannot be the only thing that we do, but it has to be the first thing that we do. As we cry out our voices to a great king, a great judge, our highest authority, who has his ears bent towards us, but will we cry out? Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that in the midst of our anger, frustration, hopelessness, that you hear our cries. God, we thank you that you are a God that loves justice, as the prophet Isaiah would say. And God, as a person that loves justice, may we also love justice as well. God, we come before you in prayer because we believe that prayer is is the highest form of spiritual activism. And we come and ask you for your help and intervention and that you will create this moment to become a movement in our nation right now. In your name I pray, amen.